please hear this reading from the Gospel of Luke. One Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. There was a woman there who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. She was bent double, quite incapable of standing up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are free of your infirmity. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she stood up straight and began thanking God. The head of the synagogue, indignant that Jesus had, had healed on the Sabbath, said to the congregation, There are six days for working. Come on those days to be healed, not the Sabbath. Jesus said in reply, You hypocrites, which of you doesn't let your ox or your donkey out of the stall on the Sabbath to water it? This daughter of Sarah and Abraham has been in the bondage of Satan for 18 years. Shouldn't she have been released from her shackles on the Sabbath? At these words, Jesus' opponents were humiliated. Meanwhile, everyone else rejoiced at the marvel Jesus was accomplishing. This is one of our sacred stories. Jesus brought his sermon to a close, well aware that only a few feet away was a tense synagogue leader ready to pounce. Religious people had a tendency to get edgy when Jesus came to town, especially the ones in charge of the synagogues he would speak in. Yet here he was, wrapping things up, having avoided, in the opinion of the synagogue leader, any major heresies. The leader was actually quite disappointed about this. Privately, he'd hoped he'd have the chance to take Jesus down a peg, to publicly correct some of his more well-known distortions of the Bible. What he didn't know was that his chance was just around the corner. Jesus had been keeping a finger on the synagogue leader's pulse with a combination of amusement and pity. Amusement at the leader's desperation to catch him breaking the rules, saying something wrong, at how seriously he took this illusion that he had to have all the facts straight for God to be pleased. It was like watching a child pretend to be a banker. At the same time, though, he knew it wasn't like that at all. He felt pity at the way this man's Frantic need for orthodoxy drained the life and the joy from him. It was like he had carefully crafted invisible walls that kept him from the God he claimed to pursue so righteously. Regardless, it was the end of the service, and the leader had failed to find any holes he could poke in Jesus' sermon. It looked like the morning would pass without any major conflicts or attempts to metaphorically or physically hurl Jesus from a cliff. At least that's what he thought. That's what they both thought, until Jesus caught sight of the woman. As everyone stood to go, he saw her. She had tried to stand, but it became instantly clear that some oppressive ailment was keeping her bent over, nearly in half. Jesus recognized the pain that contorted her face. And all at once, he could see that this morning was about to take a turn. Noticing Jesus' focus, it only took the synagogue leader a second to see that, too. Friend, Jesus called to the woman, pushing through the crowd. Stopping, she made an effort to look up towards the voice, squinting between people. 
The synagogue leader watched with vultures' eyes. The crowd slowed to a pause to see what was about to happen. And Jesus reached the woman and surveyed her condition, opening himself to the pain she must be carrying all day and allowed it to break his heart. He opened himself to see the image of God alive in her and surrendered to the subsequent rise of love. Friend, he said again, you've been bound for far too long. Please, let me set you free. And as he spoke, he put a hand on her back, and with a deep breath, the woman stood upright as if stretching after a long sleep. She looked Jesus in the eye, the first time she'd stood as tall as anyone in 18 years. Nope, no, 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 the synagogue leader's voice barreled through the scene. Absolutely inappropriate, he advanced, indignant. For six days you shall work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, he quoted, speaking to Jesus as if he were a child who had never heard this before. The Bible is clear. There are six days for healing. Work on any of those days, but not on the Sabbath. What you've done is unbiblical and an offense to God's righteousness. His holiness, you hypocrite, Jesus interrupted. The leader raised his eyebrows as if he had just been rebuked by a toddler. Have you actually read the Bible? Jesus chided. Do you even know the God that you think you're defending? You wear this mask that makes you look righteous, makes you look like you want to know God, but behind the mask, what's there? The synagogue leader scoffed. Don't tell me I don't know my Bible. Moses' law clearly says, the law clearly says that you're not to do any work on the Sabbath. Sure, Jesus said. But don't pretend that you're somehow just following what the Bible says. Every reading is an interpretation, even yours. It's not a matter of reading a checklist, but of letting it dance with the other parts of the Bible, with human traditions, and with your own experience. Otherwise, you can use it to say whatever you or your culture think it should say. Tell me, do you have a donkey? The synagogue leader was having trouble following. What are you even... A donkey, Jesus asked. Do you have one? Or an ox? I'm going to assume that you do. I'm also going to assume that you probably unbound it this morning so it could go out and get a drink. Right? Well, that sounds like work to me. It sounds like you broke the law. No, the leader pushed back defensively, because things like that are necessary and allowed under, allowed under your interpretation of the law, Jesus interrupted again. But let me ask you this. If you care enough for a donkey to unbind it, to think that's necessary even on the Sabbath, then why would you hesitate to unbind a human, a daughter of Sarah, even on the Sabbath? You seem to have memorized the law but forgotten the prophets who remind us that the whole purpose of the law is to point us towards God's heart, a heart that breaks for suffering and detests ritual for ritual's sake. When you're following the Bible, but it's not moving you towards the compassionate spirit of God, you've missed the point. He looked hard at the synagogue leader, as if daring him to justify himself. 
The leader, however, had nothing more to say. He felt humiliated. Jesus had shamed him into a logical corner from which he couldn't escape. And when the people saw what Jesus had done, they cheered for him and the marvels he was accomplishing. This is one of our sacred... Wait, stop, hang on. The scribe broke into the story. The small body of believers together for their weekly gathering glared at him through the flickering of the oil lamps. The scribe had been sitting next to the disciple telling the story, scribbling down every detail, and he knew this interruption would not be welcome because this was the group's favorite kind of story. It was the kind where Jesus stood up for the oppressed, called out the bullies that hid behind orthodoxy, and to the marginalized group, it felt like Jesus was standing up for them. So they really didn't appreciate this Gentile's interruption. Yes, Lucas, what is it this time? The disciple patiently invited the interruption. Several weeks prior, Lucas had approached him and asked his permission to record some of his stories about Jesus. Lucas was working on a collection for a wealthy, liberation-minded patron in Rome named Theophilus. The disciple had been a student of Peter, just one generation removed from the events of the story, and he was all too happy to share the stories that meant so much to him. So he gladly invited Lucas to their weekly meal. And now Lucas shuffled back through the last few feet of scroll as if he were missing something. I guess, uh, can he let the scrolls drop again, unsatisfied? Am I the only one who feels like this doesn't feel right? Another quick glance around the room made it clear that he was, in fact, the only one who felt that way. It's just, I mean, I've been listening to these stories about Jesus, and I just don't think this is the kind of story he would want told about him. What are you even talking about right now? A young Jewish woman asked him, who was tired of this guy reigning on her weekly parade. This story is everything Jesus is about. It's about liberating vulnerable people from oppressive powers. It's about healing and expecting nothing in return. It's about being bold and standing up to religious hypocrites who wouldn't know God if God walked into their synagogue, which, mind you, he did. This is exactly the kind of story Jesus would want told about him. She stared hard at Lucas. Okay, and I get that, Lucas agreed, nodding. I get that those are crucial things, and I get that this is a really empowering story, but it's just the way he treats the synagogue leader. What do you mean, the woman asked. I mean, have you ever actually called someone out like that? The way that Jesus called out the leader. Oh, yeah, absolutely, she said, going on to proudly recount a few times when she had sent strongly worded messages to higher-ups in her community, times she'd called out leaders who seemed totally blind to the way their self-justifying theology was actually hurting people. She talked about calling them hypocrites and throwing her best scriptural logic at them, just like Jesus had done. Hey, I said what had to be said, she finished, even though I knew it wouldn't be popular. And did it work? Lucas asked sincerely. Did it work? She repeated. Yeah, did it work? You tried to humiliate them, to dominate them with logic, just like you say Jesus did in the story, but in the end, did things change like you wanted them to? Did they see your point? Did they agree? Did they suddenly become more compassionate people? Were they awake to God's image and the people they were hurting? He paused to make sure he was being clear. 
before continuing. Or maybe, and this is just my own experience, did they walk away angrier, more defensive, pushed just a little deeper into their fears and assumptions? Norman ground her teeth and looked off, considering it. After a moment, she conceded with a quick nod. You see what I mean, Lucas said, looking back at the disciple. Forgive me, I know I'm an outsider here, but with all due respect, I don't think this kind of story ever really does what we think it should. The woman came back at him. But it's not like you can avoid people getting mad or defensive when you say that what they're doing is not right. The woman needed to be healed. The leader needed to be called out. And yeah, when you don't play by the rules of an oppressive group, they will get angry and they will push back. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, right? She quoted. Most everyone nodded at this, personally familiar with what happened when you spoke up. The disciple was in no hurry to resolve this conversation. With a half smile, he watched things play out. I, I hear what you're saying, and it's absolutely true, Lucas said, putting his palms out. My own family hasn't spoken to me since I started this work, collecting the stories about the Christ. He met some empathetic eyes at this. And this story, it really had me. Right up until that rhetorical scrap between Jesus and the synagogue leader, when he just flat out called him a hypocrite, he started looking back through his scroll, finding the last line he'd scratched down. At these words, Jesus' opponents were humiliated. Meanwhile, everyone else rejoiced at the marvels Jesus was accomplishing. Come on. Public shaming? An eye for an eye? Not only does that not fit with what you say Jesus taught, but it just doesn't work. Imagine, I imagine the story actually ends with the synagogue leader burrowing way deeper into his ego, getting angrier and meaner, hurting more people. So you're suggesting that there's a way of healing the woman, standing up to bad religion, and winning over the one who's doing the hurting, the woman asked skeptically. How do you propose we do that? Kindness, Lucas said, thinking it was obvious. There were a few laughs. The woman started to push back. So you think that kindness is going to love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Lucas had picked up the scroll and he was reading back. Love your enemies, do good. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for God is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. He scans down a bit further. Do not judge, and you won't be judged. Do not condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven, for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own? He looked back up at the group. Our opponents are humans, children of God, just like we are. In fact, except for those things outside of our control, like where we were born and, and how the world has hurt us, we could just as easily be in their shoes. So yeah, I'm saying humility and kindness seem to be the only actually effective way to help others find compassion in themselves. It's the only thing that thins out their ego and uncovers God's image at their core. 
Yes, the woman absolutely needed to be healed. Yes, the people absolutely need to be liberated. Yes, the system absolutely needs to be protested, but we have to do it in a way that extends the same dignity to the oppressor that we're asking them to extend to us. And I think that looks like listening to them with empathy, making sure that they know that they are heard, that they are valued. And then it looks like being honest about where we're coming from, telling our stories. And if they don't hear us, then it looks like putting our bodies in the way of wrongdoing. But for God's sake, it can't look like yelling hypocrite at them if our goal is to get them to be more compassionate. He stopped and took a breath. Look, what I'm saying is the only effective way to create a more loving world is by loving our enemies because we can't dominate, humiliate, or logic anybody into love. Around the room, people considered his words. Silently, they were allowing the dance to take place, allowing the stories to play off one another, off Lucas's words and off their own experience, all the while keeping their eyes open for God's presence. The disciple couldn't have been more pleased. He was increasingly grateful. He invited Lucas to this gathering. Or think about the alternative. Lucas added with a laugh. If we really dug in our heels to this us or them, let's dominate the bad guys until we win approach, think about how ineffective our conversations would become. Can you imagine how dehumanized and polarized everybody would be? We'd just be sitting around yelling into our echo chambers. Come on. Is that really the kind of world you want to help create? 